0: You are listening to REACH MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. The National Asthma Education and Prevention Program has come up with new expert guidelines on how to evaluate and treat asthma. What does this mean for us, the practicing physicians? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me is Dr. Fernando Martinez, Director of the Arizona Respiratory Center, Swift McNear Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Arizona College of Medicine in Tucson. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Martinez.
1: Thank you for having me, Lee.
0: Tell us, why do we need new guidelines at this point in time?
1: Well, things have moved on. We have a better understanding of the disease. I think we have come up with the new ideas that are quite original, I would say, in many aspects of the treatment and diagnosis and management of asthma. I think it was necessary to update the guidelines.
0: These were originally developed back in 1991, I believe?
1: Well, that was the first version. Then was another one in 2000. And now the 2007, I think, provide this new framework that I was talking about.
0: Who has come up with these guidelines? What was the process by which they were arrived at?
1: Well, this was a very different process to the one we uh, went through in the previous versions. I participated in the, uh, 2001. This time we really wanted to make it evidence-based. So the expert committee that was put together by the National Heart, Lung and Blood Institute really went through the literature very, very carefully and in trying to put together an evidence-based guidelines. And most of what we say in the guidelines now was really the result of a very thorough systematic review of the literature with respect to each of the issues addressed. So we're, we're in the face of a different process this time. And I think when people go through the product, they will see that, in fact, a lot of what we say is solidly based on what the literature says.
0: And if there were points that might not have been completely clear based on research and the literature, was this decided by expert opinion after discussion?
1: Yes, it was. And in most cases, it is explicitly said in the long version of the guidelines that that particular area uh, was not completely clear in the literature and therefore was decided by expert opinion. And it's explicitly said in the uh, text of the guidelines.
0: So that's very nice. It should be easy for us uh, practicing physicians to see what is based on good hard clinical evidence and what things are still up in the air, but recommendations were based on expert opinion.
1: Yes, it is true. I have to say that, unfortunately, all this process resulted in a very, very long document. We would have wanted it to be... Uh, brief document, but since this great amount of work was done, we thought it was important for people who wanted to see the long version to have access to it. There's also an executive summary that uh, has been made available that provides a much more succinct uh, view of what the guidelines are proposing. But if you really want to get an idea of the whole process, I strongly recommend that with all of its 400 and something pages uh, that people take a look at the long document.
0: And is that available at this time?
1: Both are available through the NHLBI National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute website.
0: So tell us about this. It sounds very exciting. It's a new document with a lot of new ideas. What's the focus and the structure of the document?
1: I think the document goes through all aspects of asthma diagnosis and global management. In the first place, I think the chapters on diagnosis clarify very well what is it that we are calling asthma. Uh, this chronic inflammatory disease of the airways and what are the main characteristics that one should search for to diagnose asthma and the differential diagnosis. The greatest novelty here is that we are distinguishing two dimensions of the clinical expression of asthma. One is what is called impairment, which in this case is the, the symptoms and clinical expression of the disease in everyday life of the asthma patients. And the second one is what is called risk, the main component of which is asthma exacerbations. I think one of the big misses in the previous guidelines was the lack of a thorough consideration of the role of exacerbations in asthma morbidity. This time, exacerbations are not only included, but they're part of the evaluation that we propose to physicians and and practitioners to go through to determine the degree of severity of the disease, which was not there before. That is very important. Also, in risk, we have the potential for side effects of the medicines. Now, they are considered part of what you need to evaluate when you propose a certain therapeutic approach to the disease, and also the potential for losses in lung function chronic losses in lung function, which are particularly important uh, for all the patients with asthma. So, all this is in the evaluation of the case of asthma. The second area that is very important is that now we clearly distinguish between severity and control. Um, severity is considered the expression of the disease when you're not getting any treatment, at least any control the treatment. And control is the degree of, uh, as the word says, control of asthma when you are uh, receiving some type of medication, control of medication. So these two aspects are thoroughly discussed in the document. What do you do when you have a patient who is not receiving any control or how do you classify that patient in degrees of severity? And what do you do when there is a patient who is receiving a controller and still having symptoms? How do you classify that patient? And specifically, what do you do with that patient. So that's the second aspect of uh, a diagnosis, I would say, that is very important. I have to add that from the point of view of uh, evaluation of the patient, uh, great importance is given to environmental triggers and a very uh, thorough assessment of those triggers and the potential to intervene non-pharmacologically. In other words, the idea that therapeutics is not only pharmacology, but also intervening on the potential environmental and other factors that are important in the patient. And finally, I think that one other aspect that is also given a lot of importance is education. Why is it that patients need to know about their disease in order to be able to participate in the management of the disease? So in all these aspects, I think, are much more thoroughly this time and much more evidence-based this time assessed and
0: the previous guidelines. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Fernando Martinez, director of the Arizona Respiratory Center from the University of Arizona College of Medicine in Tucson. We are discussing the new guidelines for asthma evaluation and management. Dr. Martinez, as I looked at some of the introduction to the document, there seemed to be uh, an emphasis on doing spirometry to have some objective evaluation of our asthma patients. Is that the case?
1: Yes, it is. Previous uh, guidelines had also stressed the importance of spirometry, but this time, I think we have insisted on the need for anybody who's following a patient with asthma on having a spirometer available. In the past, there was a certain reluctance, to put this as a condition. And that reluctance was, I think, based on the fact that spirometers uh, were expensive. We didn't want to restrict the possibility of physicians to be able to follow appropriately patients with asthma who perhaps didn't want to go through the expense of uh, buying a spirometer. But I think at this time, sparameters are, with respect to any of the other instruments we have to follow our patients with different diseases, are relatively cheap. And therefore, availability of such spirometer we think, is a necessary part of the evaluation of asthma as of 2007.
0: So we should start to think about a spirometer perhaps the same way we would an EKG machine or a blood pressure cuff. This is something necessary to take adequate care of our asthmatics.
1: There's no doubt about it, and I think when general practitioners do so, if they don't do so by now, they will see how much more they can get a hold of the exact clinical status of their asthma patients and therefore better decide about what to do with their medication
0: Is this something that is difficult to learn how to use properly, both for staff as well as for the ordering physicians?
1: I don't think so. I think that my experience, my personal experience, is that Certainly, it requires training, and uh, training uh, should be available on the part of the referral centers, and we do that, for example, here in Tucson, if somebody wants to learn how to use this parameter, where one of the referral centers and our uh, technicians teach uh, physicians and their associates how to do this, and we can even certify them, and this is something that should become part of the collaboration between specialists and general practitioners uh,
0: nationwide. In the field of environmental control, are there new things that we should be aware of besides hypoallergenic pillowcases and things of that nature?
1: We are discovering that many different environmental factors can influence the disease. And one of the things that we are increasingly becoming aware of is the fact that this should be done very much on an individual basis. There are now questionnaires and other instruments available to determine which are the factors that trigger the disease and its acute phases in different patients. Certainly what you have mentioned is one of the possibilities, but for many patients, if we don't go through a very thorough history of uh, potential triggers, we may miss significant opportunities to improve their lives. For example, there are chemicals that may be involved in triggering the disease and a very thorough assessment of potential chemicals present in the homes would be very important. In other words, if we're going to be able to truly control the disease, there will need to be a thorough assessment on an individual basis of the different factors that patients with asthma are exposed to. If it's a very complex assessment, set of uh, exposure, certainly specialists could intervene and participate in the discussion. But there are simple instruments that general practitioners can use to help them in determining which factors can be avoided to improve uh,
0: asthma care. And as I think of the busy day of the primary care physician, are there questionnaires and things that we can easily access? And if so, where can we Put our there hands are, on these.
1: and in fact, if you again go into the guidelines themselves, uh, those are all mentioned there, so the guidelines is also a resource for potential instruments that are freely available
0: that the general practitioners can use for this purpose. and then with education, do you foresee something similar to diabetic nurse educators for asthma, or is this something for the physicians to take on themselves?
1: No, there already are those persons who can help the physician, and certainly the nurse asthma educators are out there or other types of those persons who can help the physician and practitioners in general. So certainly I'm seeing, for example, here in our community colleges that those professionals are being formed. This is something that we need to start thinking for the future because is so frequent and has so, such a significant impact on our healthcare costs that a better education may allow us to decrease hospitalizations and therefore it's, it's going to be certainly in the cost-benefit ratio is going to be a significant benefit for our patients.
0: Well, this sounds like a fascinating and very, very useful document. And you mentioned the framework of thinking about impairment and risk with treatment, both severity and control, paying attention to the risk for exacerbations and the emphasis on environmental control and education as well. Could you tell us again, Dr. Martinez, how we can access this document?
1: The best way to access the document is to go to www.nhlbi.nih.gov, and you can find it, I think, in the portal itself, a way to access directly the guidelines.
0: Any final message and summary to the primary care doctors across the United States about these new guidelines?
1: I think these guidelines put the accent on obtaining the best control that we can get with a minimum amount of therapy for our patients. I think that the guidelines clearly state that this is possible, that patients with asthma may be under good control so that they can have a normal life. This is probably true for 99% of patients with asthma, and a combination of pharmacotherapy, environmental approach, and education is necessary for that to happen. By following what the guidelines say in a very flexible manner with respect to each patient, I think that can be accomplished.
0: Well, I'd like to thank Dr. Fernando Martinez, who has been our guest. He is the director of the Arizona Respiratory Center at the University of Arizona College of Medicine in Tucson. He has been telling us about this very new, exciting document, the new guidelines for asthma. Thank you for being with us. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.